Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Pragmatic Podcasts. My name is Diane Pearson, and I am an instructor with Pragmatic. Today, I have the very great good fortune to have Joe Duress with us to talk about customer retention. In any renewal business, any, any business where renewals are a factor, this is top of mind. And it can be one of the most frustrating parts of the business. So I'm really excited to have Joe here because I've worked with Joe, oh gosh, many different times in my career, as has my husband, Tom. And we've both had the ability to witness firsthand his inspirational leadership style and this laser focus he has on delivering value to the market as well as revenue to his business partners through this use of data. I I would even go so far as to say that, that Joe was one of the defining pioneers of leveraging data to make business decisions, marketing, sales, what have you. Right now, uh, today, Joe is the head of sales, marketing, and customer engagement for British Medical Publishing for the Americas. He's held some general management roles in the past. Uh, he's worked with companies in the general management area. Da, da, da. Okay, I'm just going to start that again. Sure. So, Joe is currently the man. Okay, starting yeah. again. Take three. Take <laughs> a time. <laughs> Uh, Joe is head of sales, marketing, and customer engagement for British Medical Publishing for the Americas. He's also held general management roles at companies like Elsevier, Buyers Lab, Dun & Bradstreet, and LexisNexis. He has worked in these fields for many years. Uh, as a matter of fact, at one point co-authoring a top-selling business book, The D&B Guide to Doing Business Around the World by Prentice Hall, Simon & Schuster. He's testified before a U.S. Congressional Subcommittee to promote better private and public sector cooperation. And believe it or not, this gentleman actually has some spare time. And in his spare time, he founded the Heroes Tournament, which has raised half a million dollars to benefit seriously ill children as well as first responders who have fallen in the line of duty. So we have a, a great expert on the phone today, a great friend. Joe, thank you so much for being here to talk about customer retention. Well, thank you, Diane. It's, uh, it's my pleasure, and it's great to be speaking with you again, and uh, give my best to Tom. I will. I will. So, so let's kick this off, talking about customer retention. Um, what are some of the types of subscription or, or businesses where you've had to worry about customer retention? Just, a, just an overview of the kinds of things you've uh, done in your career that, that were customer retention focused. Well, every every single uh, business I've been with and uh, in every single role I've been in, uh, customer retention has been um, a, a priority. Uh, I think everybody listening to the podcast uh, knows that a retained customer uh, is about 500% or five times uh, more profitable than bringing in a newly acquired customer. And, um, you know, uh, one point of improved uh, retained revenue um, is is worth more than that. It's probably closer. To, it's probably worth about 10% of profit that flows to the bottom line. So retention has been at the forefront um, of um, everything that that I've done. Whether it was uh, early in my career uh, when I was with um, uh, with DNB. Um, and then, you know, when I moved over to other roles uh, within the, uh, the legal vertical, uh, the education vertical, and uh, now the healthcare vertical. Um, 
you know, I've worked for public, uh, publicly owned companies. I've worked for private companies, and I've also worked for private equity backed and private equity owned businesses. And in every case, uh, re retention um, is uh, is is a priority. I, I rely very heavily on data, um, and you know, the data can't tell you everything. Obviously, there's a uh, a qualitative piece to this. You need, you want to talk to customers. You want to understand both why they renew, um, and um, frankly, I think you learn more when you find out maybe why they don't renew. And so, I've always made it, um, uh, you know, uh, mission critical to always attempt to prove and improve the value proposition to our customers. Um, whether that was in any of the verticals I mentioned. Um, it's different depending on what type of product or service or solution that you're taking to market. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it always comes down to, does the customer feel like they are getting a good return on that investment? And the onus is on you to prove that to them. And don't expect them to invest the time to prove it to themselves. <laughs> sometimes they know it, sometimes they don't. So um, I rely pretty heavily on my marketing team and also my customer engagement team to uh, promote the great value that our customers are getting. And equally important is when we identify, because we do look at the data very closely and very regularly, when we see a situation where we feel that a customer is not getting you know, commensurate value for their investment, then we have intervention uh, things that we can do uh, to maybe turn that around and turn that into um, a, risk, a risky situation to one where we have much more confidence that that customer will renew. Let's, let's talk about a uh, little bit about renewals, uh, customer retention. We talk about it as renewals. So we're, we're saying basically the same thing, renewal, retention. We're, we're trying to keep mm -hmm. these customers staying with us. Is there a critical time in the relationship with a customer or, or a, a pattern that you've seen where you would say that the customer retention could be made or broken? Yeah. At this point in the relationship, if we don't have them, it's going to be really hard to keep them. Yeah. So, again, it's curiosity trying to understand where, where is that point where you may lose a customer. And without the data, all you're really doing is guessing. Um, so, you know, a few years back, I wanted to take a look at attrition rates from customers that were first-year customers, second-year customers, three-year customers, and on and on and on and on. And I think a lot of us know this. Um, um, if you can keep a customer for about three years, there, there's a very good chance that you'll keep them long-term, maybe potentially uh, for the next 10 years or more. And there's, therein is where you get that lifetime value. Um, perhaps not surprisingly, but earlier in my career, it was uh, surprising and really eye-opening to me, is where your first year customers, I have found, are at the highest risk. There's lots mm -hmm. of reasons for that. Um, you know, some customers may have um, unusually high expectations in terms of how much value they're going to get in a single year. It's like a lot of things. It takes some time, perhaps, uh, 
um, for that value to, you know, sort of build over time. Um, but I'm going to give you an actual case study. I won't name the business okay. um, or, or the product, but it was in the legal vertical. And this particular business was growing at a very, very robust level. Um, it, it was in the client development area. We helped law firms um, find clients. And it was at a time when we were making the transformation from print to web. And um, this, our, the business I was with at that time, um, I led um, a division uh, in the small law area. And we were growing the business at um, you know, uh, more than 25% uh, growth rate year over year early on. And we were bringing, yeah, yeah. And, and, and we were able to maintain that over a four to five year time horizon. But here's what's interesting. We were bringing in, um, uh, in some years, six, up to 6,000 new customers a year. And those 6,000 customers on an av average um, contract value was in the 2,500 to $3,000 range, uh, maybe a little bit more. But on an annual basis, we were bringing in anywhere from, let's say, $17 million to $21 million a year in new business. But when we started looking at the second-year retention rate, the retained revenue rate, we were all shocked to see that it was only at about a 51 52% range. Wow. Meanwhile, the business as a whole, and we had over 40,000 customers in total, the the overall business had, had a retained revenue rate closer to 90%. But here we had those first-year customers that were, were, were attriting at a very, very high rate. And so, in a sense, we were, we were trying to sell too much, perhaps too soon. And so, when we looked at the data, what we learned was that if you sold a subscription somewhere in that neighborhood of $2,400 to $3,000, you had a much better chance of retaining that revenue because the customer felt like that, you know, what they were getting in return, let's say the number of leads that we would deliver to them was absolutely commensurate with what they were paying for the service. Okay. But it was at this time where we were also um, developing uh, lots of new products that law firms really were intrigued by and very eager to purchase. Ultimately, however, when, you, when, we, when we sold too much too soon, it almost was impossible for us to actually deliver enough value in that first year to justify that investment the second year. So while we were certainly we had a sales team that was very eager to go out and not only sell a basic subscription, but to maybe sell an enhanced subscription, something that we might call an integrated uh, legal marketing uh, solution. Mm -hmm. um, it just made it very difficult to renew it in the second year because the price was too high and the value we were delivering just was not enough for that law firm to say, yeah, we're gonna go for it a second year. A couple of things we did around that. We sat down with the sales team. We explained the situation. But in addition to that, we actually created, we, we, we carved off a small group. I think it was four customer support reps whose focus went from just providing sort of general uh, customer support, you know, inbound calls from customers 
to really focusing only on these first year customers. We called it, I think, uh, the priority services team. Mm -hmm. And they were focused exclusively on those first year customers. And their goal was to be able to prove um, that the, the law firm was getting tangible value and a return on investment from that investment. And as a result, we saw the uh, re retained revenue rates actually go up in that very first year by five points. Now that may not sound like a lot when you're going from 50% to 55%, but if you look at the numbers I just shared, you know, somewhere in the 16 to $20 million range, five, a five point improvement in retention is real money. Exactly. Well, and, and you know, you brought up a couple great themes there because that is, it's, a, it's an excellent case study because it really illustrates that all, all retention is not created equal and, and certain actions aren't going to work every single time when you look at retention tactics. And so diving into it and finding out that we actually have to encourage our sales teams to move more slowly. Don't try to go for the super big sale with the small law firms because Honestly, we're, they're just not going to get enough out of it. But if you start with a smaller sale, you're going to be able to keep and grow this client, which also from a sales perspective is much easier than getting new business. Absolutely. You know, I think that's, you know, and putting that, that team in place to help with that. And, and that worked particularly well there, whereas it, maybe that wasn't the answer for a different market. Um, maybe it wouldn't be the same answer for that same market five years from now maybe the reason you weren't retaining then would have been completely different. So I like that time element too, that whole concept of it might be because it's year one. It might be because it might be something different in year five. It might be something that, that happens in the industry. It might not be anything that has to do with our product. It, it just might be, they can't ramp up fast enough to get enough out of it to get this, or, or maybe we can't ramp them up fast enough, but I, you, you reminded me of a scenario from my own background. Um, actually, I think it was a different part of the same company <laughs> <laughs> at the time um, with, again, as you say, without naming names, but I, I found myself in an incredibly lucky situation. It was small law as well. And we were selling a software tool and I was in charge of small law uh, for this particular type of software. And what had I had discovered was that clearly my boss hated me because the other markets, medium law and then strategic uh, law firms, their renewal rates were, were beyond 85%, both of them. And I think that mm -hmm. that largest firms, it was something like 98%. I mean, it was just yep. wonderful. Yep. Mine was 29%. <laughs> wow. And um, we hadn't done any work. They, they invested a lot of money, given us actually quite a bit of money to, to do marketing, to do onboarding. But when we actually got out and, and, talked to the market. And then, you know, we did some discovery. What I tell my classes all the time, once you start hearing the same thing over and over again, don't keep asking, do a survey or an experiment, something quick and cheap. One of the things we found out was that uh, nobody was actually asking them to renew. There was, there was no <laughs> method inside our company to ask them to renew. Now that, I, that was just one of those lucky things you, you stumble into. It required much less effort than yours. It was just, okay, let's, let's actually ask them to renew. Right. But you never know. And, and we had this budget for retention that we didn't actually need. 
Now, on the other hand, we also found out that that market was using the product in an entirely different way than the smart ones, the ones who were renewing, not the mm -hmm. smart ones, the ones who were renewing and, and had figured out how to use it on their own. That's what I mean by smart, not, you know what I mean. But they had figured out a way to use this thing that was providing them tremendous value. And all we had to do at that point was, was replicate, replicate that value message, get a few case studies, and we were, we were able to shore up those renewals even farther. It became much more like the rest of the business. But it's, it's interesting to hear the different reasons why maybe the very same law firm would or would not renew in one case with one type of product and not another. One size does not fit all here, does it? No, it doesn't. And, you know, at the end of the day, it always does come down to value. And I always like to say that value is, is, is like beauty. It, it truly is in the eye of the beholder. You know, if there's one thing that will drive you absolutely crazy, um, it's when you know and you can empirically prove to a customer that they're getting tremendous value from their investment and they still cancel. And then on the other side of that coin, you may actually have a customer who you know um, is not getting great value and yet they renew year after year after year after year. And that's because, you know, depending on what it is that you're selling, you know, years ago, I, uh, I was the uh, editor of uh, a specialty directory uh, that helped uh, U.S.-based exporters um, uh, export to over 220 countries around the world. And it was a sort of a technical guide on basically not just how to export, but how to stay uh, compliant with all the different regulations uh, around the world. Um, and I had um, I had a research editor who said to me that you know you know this this directory, while a lot of our subscribers may not refer to it very often, they have comfort and they sleep well at night because they know it's on the shelf when they need it. It's there. It's more like an insurance policy, and that was a really great way to explain the value of that particular um, directory. Um, so you can't. You can't guarantee that somebody's going to renew, um, but you can certainly make it. You know, you can certainly improve your value proposition by ensuring that you know from the the the, the time that you bring in a customer for the first time, that whole onboarding process is so important. You know, you only get one opportunity to make a good first impression, and so you don't just want to send that customer maybe a a templated form letter saying, hey, um, welcome, you know, welcome to so-and-so, um, here's your password and ID. You might actually want to reach out to them, especially if you look at the long-term lifetime value of that customer over a 10-year time horizon, you will see that that customer, when they become more as a predictable renewal customer, it's just going to, you know, it's just going to contribute more to the bottom line than having them around for one year and maybe overselling them and overpromising them something that you can't deliver. And that effort really does make such a difference up front because that, as you say, that investment is going to pay off and, and not everybody will stay, but certainly if we're doing what they want us to do, if it, if it fits in their expectations, we're, we're doing nothing but making, creating every good chance for that to happen. Yeah. And I also really like the point you made about the um, export directory because it's not always 
the direct or, or what we perceive as the direct value of the product that's necessarily going to keep people coming back. Sometimes, you know, yes, I, I, I know there's value in the product. I appreciate the value, but there's value in other things like the security of having it on the shelf. Even if I pull it off the shelf physically or virtually, if I do that once every three years, I don't care because it's right there. I have it. It's worth it. That's right. I've had customers that, that did the same thing. Just it's an insurance policy. It, it's something that I know is there in case I need it. If I need to look at it quickly, if I need to get at it quickly, if I just am a little uncomfortable and want to do a, a you know, a, a little bit of a refresher, whether it's a data product or, or any sort of, of product where renewal is important, there, there might be many reasons why they renew that again, or don't renew that, that don't have to do with the product. That's right. And, you know, when you look at uh, revenue streams in most businesses, regardless of what industry they're in uh, or uh, whether they're large or small, um, it's really that retained revenue that is, is really uh, what is going to keep that business going. And it's certainly, um, as I said earlier, retained revenue, it, it, it's more predictable, it's certainly more durable, and it's certainly more profitable. So we, you know, in my current position, uh, we invest considerably um, in uh, outreach to our customers. Um, I actually created a, a new position uh, back in 2015. It didn't exist anywhere in the company at the time. And um, it's, it's just called a customer engagement manager. And, um, you know, the person that I hired was just perfect for this role. He truly wants to delight customers and he loves meeting with them, whether it's face-to-face -face in their uh, particular um, 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 workplace, which in many cases is academic institutions or healthcare uh, institutions like hospitals or clinics. And what we just want to do is keep our customers engaged. We've actually created a quarterly, new, quarterly newsletter that our marketing team works with our customer engagement team on producing. It's not a sales vehicle. We're not promoting product. We're just reaching out to customers. We do interviews um, with other, uh, with medical librarians because uh, most of our uh, decision makers and those that have the purchasing authority uh, in these institutions are medical librarians. So we do interviews with medical librarians and the other librarians love to hear what um, some of their uh, counterparts are doing uh, in different parts of um, in different parts of the country. So when when I made the decision to bring this customer engagement manager role uh, into the organization, it's interesting. Our retained revenue rates at that time were about ninety four percent. They weren't bad at all. They were quite good. Yeah, that's fabulous. But I knew from previous roles uh, that I had in medical publishing that we could probably improve that a little bit. And so I set a um, a target of uh, just two points of improvement, not in the first year, but maybe oh, by the second year, I thought we could actually improve that retained revenue rate by two points. And we, we did better than that. We're averaging now 97.5% uh, retained revenue rates. Wow, that's and, phenomenal. And I attribute that not only to, um, you know, the fact that we publish really valuable and um, um, uh, needed um, uh, clinical research, but also because we do make it a priority 
to um, ensure that our customers are getting good value. And we have all sorts of diagnostics and dashboards that we look at regularly. And we are very, very proactive. I've built risk um, models in the past that can actually predict when a customer is likely to not renew. And the key is not to wait until about 90 days before that renewal date. You want to get in there, um, you know, you want to get in there at least six to nine months before that renewal uh, date. Um, uh, because then you have, you have time to actually plan and, and create that and execute that plan working with, uh, with the customer to try to get the, uh, their internal constituents who are often doctors uh, mm-hmm. or perhaps um, um, residents or maybe even researchers. Um, and so it, it, it works, but it, it does start with a philosophy of we don't just want to satisfy customers, we want to delight our customers and we are constantly proving and improving the value proposition. And, and so a couple really good things in there. And uh, we are talking with uh, Joe Duress today. He's the head of sales, marketing, and customer engagement for British Medical Publishing of the Americas. And Joe, what I, what I heard there were a couple of things. One of them is just that, that ongoing commitment to delivering real value and understanding what that means to the market. What, what does real value mean to them? Maybe it is a customer engagement manager. We used to have a, a story in our class about uh, a client who implemented customer engagement and, and how it turned um, their business around, too. I, like you said, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but that, that whole idea of what's meaningful to them, I think, is really important. And also, you mentioned that you can't wait until the last minute to worry about retention. And, and I like the fact you, you mentioned building models that, that not only indicated likelihood of, of drop or, or customers at risk in that, that 60 to 90 day period where uh, salespeople start picking up the mantle of thinking, hmm, you know, what are we gonna do client by client, but also this six months, nine months before the renewal is going to happen, trying to look for signals in the data there that say, yeah, you know what, the, there's some sort of data here that indicates they could be at risk and, and you have time to fix it. Whereas, yeah, if you, if you just call them 60 days out, probably what they're going to say is I'm not renewing because the only time I hear from you is when you want to renew. Exactly. And, you know, I've obviously experienced this um, more often than I'd like to remember with uh, some sales reps who would do exactly that. Um, They would contact their customer uh, 30 to 60 days before the renewal date. And the customer would say, well, I'm not going to renew. And then when you ask why, they will say, because I'm just not getting the usage that I expected. I'm not getting the value that I expected. It's too late by that point. It's absolutely mm-hmm. too late. And then the sales rep would you know, um, blame it on lack of value. But the reality is it was lack of engagement on the, on the part of the account manager. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's... It, we, we expect a lot from our sales teams. They, they generally have so many accounts. And, and I, I know from personal experience, as you do, you've led so many sales teams that they, they can't always call ahead. And so maybe we do need to add resources like a customer engagement manager or, or at least share with the reps the, the implications of waiting too long, that you've got to at least get a couple calls in there somewhere to make sure they understand that you're available to answer questions if they have them. 
some people don't have any questions or don't don't you know they're they're okay without the interaction but I, no matter what people like to know that you're checking in and just making sure that things are okay well that's exactly right and uh, I can't uh, emphasize enough how important it is uh, from the onboarding of a new customer and this goes beyond uh, you know depending on what your um, uh, bringing into market, you know, whether it's a software um, uh, product or any type of product, you know, this goes beyond just, you know, the training. Um, this is all about monitoring uh, that customer's usage throughout the year and when training is necessary, absolutely um, provide that type of training. But it's also working with your marketing partners um, who can actually um, develop any number of, of different uh, campaigns that provide um, support uh, to, to increase uh, that usage. Uh, sometimes in, in our business, uh, these medical librarians, uh, they have very important roles within a, whether it's academic or uh, a med school or a hospital, very important roles. Uh, they are really a, a central repository for all this clinical research. And you can imagine how important that is uh, right now with the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. So what our marketing team will do is actually create campaigns that the medical librarian then can deploy internally to just remind everyone of these really valuable um, uh, medical journals that are available um, online uh, through, the, uh, through the institution's library or from an, an internal portal. So we're actually partnering with the customer to try to socialize um, the, the, the benefits of, 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 of all these assets, these uh, different uh, journals and this critical information. Well, and, and I think that's a great point too, because there, there is often, and particularly in the journal business, uh, but, but in, often in many businesses, there, there's a real difference between the buyer and the user, and the buyer needs to make sure that the user is getting value out of it. Exactly and so right. your, your librarian, while they're certainly a user, they're almost more like an administrator. And you've got all these other people who could or should be using the product, but there's awareness on that end too. You've got this, this complex value chain, as well as not to mention the people who are also then contributing to the journals and, and keeping the reputation of the journal up. It's a very complex value chain to keep renewals going in. And, and it really does take that team effort to make sure that not only are you interacting with the buyer, the, the librarian, the, the administrator, but also then making sure they can interact with their users to drive and deliver that value. That's exactly right. Well, Joe, this, is, this has been a great discussion of customer retention and just a great perspective. Also a bit of a walk down memory lane because some of those things you were talking about, I, I remember the good times and I remember the not so good times. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the good news is as we get a little older, we start forgetting the bad times and we just remember the good times. That's right. And I think that's the best way to go because we've learned the lessons, we've absorbed the lessons. Let's just forget the rest of it because <laughs> honestly, there's so much there. I, I think this was just great. So thank you very much for uh, being here today on the uh, Pragmatic Institute podcast. This is Diane Pearson, and I hope everyone has a great day. 